Kwaba, welcome back to the Team Ghana U podcast. Bite size where we receive news, updates, discussion, and everything significant football and Ghana related. As always, I want you, the listeners, to be at involved by tweeting or emailing us for discussion or wanting more information. We have another episode of Through the Lens, in which I'm joined today again by Coach Yaz. For the listeners, do you want to explain who you are briefly and what you do as well? Sorry. Yeah, yeah, no problem, man. Well, first of all, thank you for having me, Andrew. Um, very, very briefly, I guess, in, you know, I'm a working coach, a football coach by trade, um, but working more specifically in coach development. Um, spent the last maybe five, six, seven years working in coach development, working across uh, mentoring capacities, delivering workshops, delivering training for coaches um, with a real target focus around inclusion, inclusion and diversity. So we, a lot of the people that I work with are historically underrepresented communities, um, namely black, Asian and female coaches. Um, and that's, yeah, I mean, that's, that's pretty much it in a snapshot, if you like, you know, and that, that covers both um, outfit stuff, goalkeeping elements, um, and, and bits and pieces around and in between that. Cool. We're going to get into the London Football Talent Centre very shortly. Um, but I brought you on a podcast because I wanted to continue the conversation or the topic I've had recently, which is who have been the most impactful clubs or organisations in Africa or Ghana. But I wanted to broaden this because of the whys, because the whys are, yeah, the whys are important to me. But I also want to um, discuss what I and what we'd like to do, obviously, at the beginning of 2023, obviously, in Ghana. Um, but before we get all to that, um, beginning with, obviously, who have been the most impactful clubs and organisations? Um, so, obviously, I know you've had a brief opportunity, obviously, to listen to, listen to the previous episodes. Um, I'll start us off, obviously, by talking about talking about the Right to Dream Academy and essentially kind of like what they've done, dare I say, obviously, in Africa and to an extent, some of which that I would like to kind of replicate. But probably more specifically, I want to talk about what clubs and organisations have been impactful in that region or any region for that matter. Here in London and the UK, I guess we're kind of spoiled with a number of different organisations and foundations and charities and stuff like that. But dare I say in Africa and potentially in Asia, but specifically Africa, to which I probably have a, a, a better understanding, the Right to Dream Academy have come in um, through, I think it's Tom Vernon, who was a scout for Manchester United. I think eventually, I think became a coach at um, one of the clubs in Ghana. And then through there, obviously decided to develop the Right to Dream Academy, to which obviously they educate boys and train them obviously in regards to football, provide them with scholarship opportunities to go to the US. And I think if I'm right in saying so, I think they own Norgeland, obviously, in Denmark or Norway. And to which a number of boys, obviously, have been professional footballers there and have received a number of opportunities. So what other clubs and organisations do you believe have been, like, um, impactful? Yeah, impactful just in general. Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a good question. I think, you know, this. I don't think it would be right to say there's necessarily one that's Correct. doing it better than the others. I think, you know, even even to list certain organisations, I think is... is it might in some ways be disrespectful to others because you you might be feel like you're leaving some out. But I think what I think one thing in particular, you know, if we start with the Right to Dream Academy and, and what they're doing there, that they essentially they're creating opportunities for people that might not get might not get it elsewhere. Um, you know as well as I do, especially if you're looking at the landscape of Africa. And I think in even in the previous episode you talk about it, not just in terms of West Africa, but you know, North, South, and East Africa as well, in terms of the number of players that are coming out of there, especially more and more uh, increasingly so in the recent years, where listen, there's certainly not lack of talent. There's certainly not like a lack of potential, but what there is is lack of opportunities, especially for those coming over to this country here. And then, you know, even if you look at some of the stuff that's happening in the Premier League at the moment, or which club was it recently? 
Um, I think it was a club in Germany. We might have been Germany. Who? I'm trying to think. Napoli. It was in fact it was Napoli, wasn't it? Yeah. So Kulik, yeah. What did the, the, the chairman said that you know he, he, he he's against the idea of now signing any any other African players going forward unless they commit to not playing in the African Cup of Nations, and it's like. Would you say that? Would you have said that to maybe a Cristiano Ronaldo if he was playing for Portugal? Would you stop him? For, would you ask him to stop playing the Euros? Would you ask Messi to stop playing in the Copa America? And it, it, it just kind of it just really puts into you know perspective how some people who and I don't want to generalize, but some people probably probably can, probably speak for a lot of other people in terms of their views have such a low opinion of African football and, and the potential it can bring. Um, and you know, I think it was, I think you, you, you probably know this better than I do, but I think it was maybe two, three years ago. I think it was Mario Balotelli uh, made a pledge um, to all the other African African-born players and said, "Look, forget Europe. We're rich enough. Let's all get together and make football really impactful, meaningful in in, in Africa. Create our own leagues, build new stadiums, so that we don't have to come to Europe. We don't have to play here." Um, just because this is where the infrastructure is in place. Let's put our own infrastructure in place. So, I mean, there's so many different ways to look at this. I mean, coming back to the initial question, I think there's so many organisations that are doing things effectively. Like that. I think more importantly, it's understanding what the outcome of each organisation is. Yeah. Is it just to provide opportunities for players to get to elite level? Is it, is it to provide opportunities to increase participation? Is it, you know, is it... Is it... And unfortunately, you're going to get some organisations out there who are just doing... Enough to be considered to be to be considered in, in being credited to some work, rather than it being meaningful and impactful. It's a, it's more of an image thing. It's a PR. It's a PR stunt, if you like. Um, yeah, I don't know if that answers your question. Though. No, I, I think you've answered it quite well. Because what my follow up question was going to be: so, what type of impact would you like to see in regions like Africa? If, sorry, in fact. I say Africa and Ghana because that was the title of previous episodes. But for me, I'm talking like a bit broadly and general. What impact would you like to see? So obviously, I know Chelsea Football Club, and I don't, don't want to name drop. But obviously, their main goal, let's say, is to put our first 11 to play week in, week out. But there may be holistic goals. So, I mean, what, what holistic goals would you like to see from clubs, maybe like, a, like what profession, from professional football clubs? Don't want to name drop again. Or just yeah. organisations just in general. And then I was going to... I mean... Go on. Yeah, I mean, let's let's start with that one, isn't it? Because uh, I think I think there's a lot in there already. I mean, what you've got to ask yourself this is, Andrew, when clubs are doing what they're doing, you know, at the end of the day, clubs want a player that's going to be effective for them, right? But there's going to be some players out there that aren't really the most impactful, but they've got a big following. Like if you look, if, if you go back a few years ago, um, I thought you know, fantastic player, of course, but you know, by no means one of the best. You know, Jason Park at Man United as an example. Yeah. Wherever he went was going to be a massive marketing ploy because of the because of the influence he had back in South Korea, as an example. And it's quite similar to you know to players coming from Africa or in different regions. Um, so some clubs might be you know like I said seemingly looking to be moving things forward or having an impact, but really they've identified right if we bring this player in, we're getting our pockets filled. So. You know, it's difficult to say in terms of what would you want that impact to be because there's always going to be ulterior motives and that's the reality of what it is because it's a business at the end of the day. 
So there is going to be certain signings made just on those on, on those simple facts. Um, in term in terms of impact, I think what, what what we really need to see is we need to see a genuine intent in terms of changing the you know the fabric of the game and you know it, and, and diversifying the workforce in a meaningful and impactful way. And that's not just literally saying right, we're going to sign a couple. Of, you know, oh, what was it the other day? Crystal Palace. Is it they had nine, nine, nine black players in the, the starting eleven or something? I had no idea, so I didn't know that was right. They had nine or ten black players in start eleven. There was a, there was an uproar uh, two, three weeks ago when when the England Lionesses won the Euro Euro twenty two. Yeah, and the, the, you know people said, well, you know, it's just it's a whitewashed team. There's not a, there's not a single person of of, ethnic, of of an ethnic origin in there, other than Nikita Paris, who was on the bench. Um, but then. People were then, you know, they were they were kind of just sh- you know, shrugging that one off. But as soon as Patrick Vieira fills nine black players for a, a Premier League game, it's well. I, and I genuinely saw some of these tweets. Ah, oh, this 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 balances things out now. <laughs> what do you mean it balances things out? It's not about balancing things out, and that, that, that that's part of the issue. People think it's about being equal. It's not about being equal. It's about being appropriate and it, and, and you come back to that word meaningful. It's, it's on merit. Don't exclude them because they're black or don't exclude them because they're white. No, include them because they're good enough to be there. And that's it. I mean, and, and reality is every club, every, every, every organization involved is going to have some KPIs they need to hit. There's going to be a quota they need to, they need to hit. There's going to be a box they need to tick. Like even if you think about the last few years where the FA have brought in the Rooney rule regarding... Um, any roles within elite football that require yeah. a UEFA B or a UEFA A license, there needs to be, a, you know, where, where a candidate has applied, they need to Im- interview at least one person from a black or Asian background. It's ridiculous. Why do we need a rule to suggest that you need to interview a candidate from these backgrounds? Whereas I think what it potentially could do to have a more meaningful impact is say, right, Applications must go in through a central process where no names are included. <laughs> Pick me based on my experience in my CV, not my name. Right? And on that, I would encourage people, don't even put a picture in the CV. They'll see people put pictures in their CV. Don't do that, man. You're going you're gonna, to you're gonna be... Unless you've already got an established kind of name in the organization or so name in the industry, Listen, don't 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 let them know who they're hiring until they see you on the spot. Surprise them, you know. And I, so I mean, coming back to your initial question in terms of the impact you want professional football, you want it to be meaningful, meaningful um, and genuine opportunities for people. You want there to be um, beyond that, and I think you know, just in the kind of I don't know what your thoughts are. You're probably interested to get your thoughts on this. Actually, my my experiences um, have shown me. And I think this, yeah, I can't comment for all. I can only go based on my observation. And I think it's, I think it, it has happened quite common in Black and Asian communities, in my, in my opinion. There is a, there is a general fear almost amongst the communities of Black and Asian people within football that they don't want to leave the door open for the next generation, or they don't want to leave the door open for the next Black or Asian coach or Black or Asian person to come into the organization because there's that underlying fear 
of there's only room for one of us and I ain't going to let you in. Rather than I'm in, I'm confident in my ability and my, and my um, execution enough to be here. So I'm actually going to hold that door open. I'm going to let you in. That's, that's on you. What you do over there is on you, but you ain't going to have an impact on me because I'm still going to do my thing. And that, that, I, think, I think that's a massive, massive, um, massive challenge. I think that definitely does exist. And I know we've had that conversation before. Um, I don't disagree with anything what you said in regards to that. I was trying to think what my views actually were. And I don't know, if, I'm not too sure if people think it's, there's only room for one space, but very similar, if not the same. I think people are concerned with diluting their space, which is, is, it, is essentially the same thing. Yeah, 100%. And I, I think for me, it's, that, it's again, it's that fear. Well, actually, you know what? If you're fearful of that, then you need to ask yourself whether you're good enough to be here in the first place. Because as, as stubborn as the inequalities are in terms of access to opportunities, once you're in the door, people recognize what real is. They recognize if you're good enough to be there and they recognize if you're actually, you know, and you know, even people with, um, you know, misguided preconceptions. Once you're in the environment and they recognize you're good at your job, then they, 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 they're going to accept. They're going to accept. And this is some very, very serious underlying hatred there. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? They're going to they, take it for what it is. And they're gonna, they're, they're, gonna, they, they're probably, in most cases, they'll probably check themselves as a brush. You know what? You've actually surprised me. Then you'll open their minds around, around actually developing those opportunities. But if you're that individual in the environment yourself and you are fearful that someone else coming in could impact on you, you don't believe you should be there. On that note, and a question that I did have before was on the subject of impact. So what impact would you like the London Football Talent Centre to have? Yeah, I mean, just to give a bit of context. So, I mean, the London Football Talent Centre is, is a project, obviously, I'm working on um, at this point in time, specifically targeting uh, females in, in, at youth level. Um, you know, we currently got age groups across 13, 14, 15, 16. And the, the idea is quite simple. We essentially want to present ourselves as, as if you like, the middleman in that journey, in that process to support girls who are looking to find a route into a quote-unquote elite pathway, um, but maybe aren't quite there yet. I think where the, where the boys' game is probably a couple of decades ahead in, in regards to the opportunities and the pathways that are available. The girls game is still quite fresh. So again, to give a bit more context on that, it's if you want to go to a team that is probably going to be a well-established, well, a well-run environment, um, not to say there isn't loads of them about, but in terms of challenging you from an ability perspective, they're probably few and far between for girls to go to. If you're a boy, you can go around, you know, go literally go down a mile down the road and on, in that mile alone, there's probably four or five clubs you can go to. I'm not saying all of them are going to be great, but, you know, that just paints a picture in terms of how many environments there are that you can go to within such a short space um, in terms of location. But for the girls, they might have to travel a lot further and wider. So what, what, what we've got is quite a unique situation where, you know, based in northwest London, we, we're attracting girls from Middlesex, we're attracting girls from the east, east side of London and the surrounding counties. Um, we're attracting girls from Hertfordshire, Essex, um, and even even you know even far and wider than that. We've had interest. So the idea is that 
we want to be, become the middleman almost so the girls that want to step up into the elite you know, towards an elite path where they can come to us and support them getting into that environment um and those girls that might have potentially dropped out of some of the elite level clubs whether that be arsenal's or chelsea's and, and the other rtc's they have an opportunity to come and drop into our environment so that we can support them trying to get back in but uh, alongside it, we've also got, you know, we're also uh, running a development program because we're really keen about increasing the participation of girls. And really, you know, more, one, one thing that I'm, I'm, I'm quite proud of um, with the organisation as well is that we've got quite a diverse group of players as well, um, which is not often that common when it comes to female environments. Um, true, true. Especially, especially at a young age. So, I mean, even, like I said, you can see it in the boys' game now, for instance, the, the landscape of the, the, the demographic of players that have come through in the more recent years than maybe what, maybe 15, 20 years ago has changed dramatically. And subsequently, that has had a knock-on knock on effect on the diversity of the staff members in those environments as well. You know, cl- clubs ain't clubs, you know, people ain't, people ain't stupid. Clubs aren't stupid. They're recognising that, you know, the dem- demographic of the players is changing. There's a lot more young black boys and a lot more... Um, you know, young ethnic boys in these in these environments than maybe there was 15, 20 years ago. So they're actually having to now bring in people that might look like me or you to come and work with them because we might understand them in a different way. Um, we might be able to connect connect with them on a, on a more personal level based on other experiences and, you know, having a more empathetic, compassionate approach to those things. So I think, you know, we're, we're trying to do something similar in terms of the girls' game. Uh, we're trying to set the standard in terms of, this is what uh, you know, a grassroots environment, albeit a grassroots one. Um, this is what high performance could look like in that setting. This is this is this is what it could look. We're going to try and challenge the norm and challenge the, the general consensus of what it looks like to be a youth female player and what it looks like to be trained as a youth female player. Um, you know, and I'm, it's a really exciting project that you know I'm really passionate about because it's want to have an impact. And I think you know, I'll be honest, and I said this, I've said this to many people before. Um, as important as I think it is, I don't think it would have been as important to me if I didn't have my own daughter. Very interesting. Um, so yeah, I mean, yeah, it's an exciting project, and hopefully, it's gonna it's gonna take off, and the impact will be that at at present, you know, we're eight weeks into a brand new brand new setup, and we've got sixty three players, which is you know incredible to think, and it's not even just sixty three players; sixty three players of, of, of a relatively good standard, um, of which doesn't include a couple of players that have come to us and already been signed um so hopefully this time next year we're you know we're, we're in a position where we, if we're having a conversation about it again we're in a position where we've probably got 120 and we're doubling those numbers um but yeah and no, i'm really passionate about it and i'm really excited to see where it goes next cool you mentioned high performance i love that word obviously i know there's also the high performance um, podcast and there's, there's your podcast as well which is pretty much a lot about high performance by the way I mean, the rate in which you knock those out, like incredible. I'm often, when I see the part, I think, where does he find the time to get those all done? All right. But so on that point, like kudos and congratulations in regards to that. I, by the way, we can talk about your podcast in just a moment or, or throw it in at any given point. I was going to mention the talent ID that we did together. I think it was at the back end of May. And I guess I've provided some words or summary as to the talent ID and what I took away from it. I know you're going to ask me a question, maybe what I took away from it. I don't have those notes right in front of me. Um, but yeah, so I provided those notes in the podcast um, with the idea and view of providing a roadmap for what I want to do this year. I've always had an idea of what I want to do. I've always kind of had like a three to five year plan as to my plans and thoughts as to Team Ghana EU or what I want to do in partnership with other people 
in Ghana. So I want to very, very, very briefly touch on the roadmap and discuss that, obviously, because obviously I spoke to you in regards to potentially being involved. So my intentions, yeah, if I get straight into it, um, obviously, I think it was the back end of 29, yeah, 2020, I went to Ghana. Um, and thankfully, obviously, through Brentford Football Club, they were able to provide me with loads and loads of kit to take to Ghana to distribute. Um, I did a podcast, I think it was with the Retro Football Shirts podcast, which is a fantastic conversation in regards to the importance of football shirts and the football shirts that have been most iconic to them and important to them. So I did a campaign off the back of that and I got loads of people to donate things. I also worked, obviously, with a football club to do some coaching and things of that nature. The following year, which was last year, I, again, got loads and loads of people to donate loads and loads of clothes. Um, and also we had a charity game to which £1,500 was raised, to which, we again, we bought some more clothes and distributed, obviously, that within the community and also funded, actually, a tournament and for some, some grassroots clubs to play in tournaments and things of that nature. I've always done those things with the idea at some given point that I'll have a development centre or I'll build an academy and school of my own. But what I understand, obviously, these are all roadblocks. So this year, my intention is, again, with the view of um, the idea of building a school in 2023 or 2025 or 2024, is this year I want to go there, I want to hold a tournament, because now the infrastructure I have by way of contacts and people I know and clubs I know is that we can host a tournament. The age groups haven't quite been set as of yet, but my intention is to host a tournament. And with that, I want there to be education pathways. So I want kids to be able to get their, their maths, English or technology lessons in and or even it could be mentoring. So it doesn't have to be one or the other. It could be a bit mentoring, which I think is really, really important at this day and age for kids of the age. So they understand and have pathways and ideas of what they want to do. But away from that, because we also discussed obviously coaching previously and with the importance of coaching and lead role models is that I think it's important that the coaches are educated in some way, shape or form as well. So like I know originally me and you had conversations and I had an idea of what I wanted the coaches to look like. Whereas I've now kind of backtracked on that and actually I just want them to have an independent mind. But at the same time, understand they have good access or be able to find good access to CPD and be able to develop, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So the coaching in Ghana becomes a lot better. And then with that, obviously, players can become a lot better as well. Um, but with the tournament taking place, I want there to be a talent ID and also want there to be pathways with kids to potentially get opportunities to get a scholarship to the US and also to the UK. A lot of those things are actually being wrapped up. The only, there's only a, maybe a, a couple of things that I need to sort out between now and December before I can bring, begin publicizing these sort of things. Now, I mentioned the roadmap in that I've always mentioned to people on the podcast, I like them to be involved in some way, shape or form. And obviously what they will or what they may now know is that I've been writing a book for the past three years based on my experience as a ride-hailing app, a ride-hailing app driver, um, commonly on apps like maybe Uber or Bolt or et cetera, et cetera. I don't want to name one specifically. And my idea or thought behind it is that a lot of the proceeds from the book will actually go into funding. I'm not necessarily talking about this tournament. I'm talking about building a school and an academy going forward. But I'm looking at that sort of 2025 mark. So you're talking about, say, two, three years from now. If I can go out and buy some premises now, then by all means, I'll do so. But if I need to build one, buy some land and then build on top of it, that is the aim. Which is why, actually, over the past couple of weeks, I've been focusing on impact. Who has the most impact? Let's look at what these do. What are the models? What do they do? Why is it good? Why is it bad? Why is it indifferent? What can we do differently? What? How can we take a bit more control as to some of the outputs 
that are currently being generated. Um, and I guess, actually, I, 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 I'll pause to get your, your interjection. Yeah, I mean, there's a, there's a lot in there, Andrew. I think first and foremost, what did you take away from the talent ID? Fantastic. I'm glad you said that. And the reason why is because, you know what I did? Before we started, I said, make sure you pull up these notes, mate. Um, <laughs> no, I'm not going to pull up. Not that I'm not going to pull up the notes. Um, obviously, in fact, that is on a podcast. And I think, anyway, that's one of the most recent podcasts. So maybe two yeah. podcasts ago. But what I would say is the, pod, sorry, the podcast, the Talent ID um, reinvigorated me because I've stepped away from Talent ID for a number of years now. And I was a senior scout at, you know, say, from the club that worked there for a number of years. And in being out of that, that environment, I almost forgot in some way, although I've got the experience, I almost forgot what it was like. And I think there's a lot of learning and new things that have taken place since I left Fulham. So it's fantastic to be, A, to receive that information, but at the same time, be around people who are so hungry to make change in the game. And obviously the qualification is a high qualification. Um, yeah, high qualification, as you, as you, or not as you know, you, you invited you, you invited me there, so you gave me a personal invitation. So I was very thankful, very thankful for that. But at the same time, it gave me some new, it gave me a new lease of life as to what I want to do going forward um, with the project in Ghana. Hence, Talent ID in some way, shape or form has been incorporated into what I want to do. I mean, my intention is to partner with, in fact, I've got two, but my intention is to partner with one talent identification platform to which can potentially give boys the opportunity to A, be scouted. Let's say scouted, because I don't want to go too, I don't mean too broad. Um, but yeah, I want the, the, the tournament or my activities in Christmas to be quite holistic. There's nothing that I haven't done before. But obviously, I want to bring in expertise like yourself, someone who's a, a, a coaching tutor um and someone with your expertise in fact i don't think you've quite maybe explained i know you explained in brief what you do but you might want to explain your your platform the the coaches network maybe in a bit more detail yeah i mean so um i guess in short the idea was uh, well the coaching it was actually it's actually going on for a few years now it's probably from back dating back to 2016 the idea was literally what it says on the tenure is a network of coaches um for coaches or given opportunity of coaches to network with one another basically what i'd identified is at the time is, I, I guess it might still be somewhat prevalent to be fair, is that there was such a gap in terms of the relationships or the perceptions um, of the, of the grassroots coaches from that of the elite coaches. And the idea was quite simple. I wanted to try and bridge that gap for, for, for many people. Um, especially for those from, you know, from historically underrepresented communities, um, but obviously not limited just to them as well. And basically sitting on the idea for a couple of years around, around having a podcast, which, which will just build on that. And part of that networking was not just sharing information, having coaching conversations um, through, through a, a discussion forum, but also providing knowledge, providing insight, providing experiences and sharing those. Um, in addition to maybe potentially opportunities, which, you know, could be jobs, placements and things like that. Um, and then basically fast forward to lockdown. Um, again, you know, as I mentioned there, you know, uh, between kind of 2016, 2018, I, was, I used to listen to a lot of podcasts um, and kind of always had this idea in my head, you know, I'd love to do a podcast one day and had an idea of what it would look like and, you know, and how the conversation would would um would be had and then yeah fast forward to lockdown and basically my wife says to me you, you know you're spending too much time around me 
leave me alone. <laughs> so he's like, you're bored and you, and you're, you're here all the time. Um, you've had this idea for the podcast, go and do it. So I was like, all right, fair enough. I um, started the podcast and I haven't looked back since, man. I don't know, what, just gone two years. Yeah, just gone two years and then a hundred and, you know, we're approaching fast, fast approaching 200 episodes. Um, and that's not even taking into consideration that I've lost about 30, 35 of them and my hard drive crashed. Um, so yeah, I'm going to come back to your initial point earlier. I've just been, I've just been like churning them out. <laughs> I've been churning them out. You've been having loads of conversations and I'll say that, I'll say that, you know, off the back of that, it's probably been, not even probably, it's definitely been the most impactful CPD that I could have ever done in my career. Um, having the opportunity just to, just to speak to coaches on a regular basis, speak to people working in the talent and athlete development space and the high performance space around their perceptions, their experiences, their expertise and how it could transfer into, into my environment, not even just related into football coaching, but in, in terms of people from different sports, whether that be coaches or athletes themselves. Um, and really just getting trying to trying to build a more holistic picture of right, what is this what is what is this high performance thing? How do how does how do we actually get there? Um, and recognizing more and more so that there isn't one way. There isn't one way. It's very bespoke. It's very individualized. It's very tailored to the context of the, of the individual and also the context of the situation that the individual is is faced with. Um, so yeah, I mean that's that's that bit in short. And I guess off the back of that, what I've been able to do alongside that is I've been working for the FA and as as, as well as through the coaching network itself um, as a coach developer, where I've been involved in delivering national governing body qualifications as part of the core coaching pathway. Um, so previously, you know, I was delivering level ones, level twos, and supporting the UFB licenses with um, with some of the learners, providing mentorship as part of the FA's coach mentoring program, as well as um, in the, you know, I guess mentorship through the coaches network um, in the form of delivering workshops, one-to-one, um, building one-to-one relationships with coaches and having ongoing development plans for them. Um, and, and, you know, more recently, the last few months, um, moving into hosting live events um, for CPD, for coaches to get together and do exactly what I said, you know, I said earlier and what it says on the tin to network as coaches as people within the game, as people that are just you know, passionate and curious about developing. Um, in fact, we've got another event coming up very soon. Um, it's currently, being, currently in the process of being finalised and whatnot, but um, in October, I'm going to be collaborating with the FA and the Coaches Network on an event um, to celebrate Black History Month, um, which I think, you know, for anyone listening to this, if they're interested in getting there, it's, it's going to be a game changer. There's going to be some fantastic people involved. Um, we're expecting it to be jam-packed and really impactful. And hopefully it's going to be part of a yearly tradition that we put together myself and the FA as part of a collaboration between the Football Association and the Coaches Network. Um, and then, whereas, you know, I mentioned they're obviously delivering core coaching qualifications, which is now kind of developed on because it's no longer level one, level two in UEFA B. It's now moving towards UEFA C and whatnot. So I currently deliver on the UEFA C for the FA um, as well as um, being a national coach, uh, goalkeeping coach developer as well. So I'm also involved in delivery of goalkeeping coaching qualifications um, within the South region, in particular with London and Middlesex. Um, so yeah, that's kind of a snapshot of what I do. <laughs> uh, there's a lot in there. Um, 
but as much as there is in that, that's just a small piece of what I do. Cool. That's <clears throat> that's the type of expertise I'm looking to um, and bring to Ghana. But again, obviously, the reason why I wanted you to be a part of the conversation and even others, to be fair, to which I'll have this conversation with them after and even share this conversation with them as well, is like this doesn't necessarily need to be something that needs to be extended or specifically for Ghana. For me personally, I feel this is something, potentially a project that can be extended or shared amongst other different regions around the world. I mean, I don't see, I don't see why there shouldn't be um, any, I don't see why there can't be um, collaborations or which are, are not for the betterment of football or the footballing community rather. But just to obviously go through what the roadmap is very, very briefly, obviously, I mentioned before, over the past couple of years, obviously, I've been to Ghana to um, conduct, obviously, a few programmes. In December this year, my intention is to go there and host a massive tournament. I'm talking about in the region of up to 200 boys to which we also not only play, but participate in some form of educational programme. Not only that, obviously, coaches will receive some form of education as well, some form of CPD from the likes of Yaz, hopefully. And obviously, one more other person I'm, wishing, I'm hoping to wish to add to that and add to our team. And following them, or following that story, I'm hoping to actually have a representative team between December or, or January when we leave up until the end of the season to which they'll play games or train, all that type of stuff and continue with education and sporting pathways. I'm hoping to donate, obviously, a lot of kit um, within the community, as well as potentially even some educational supplies as well. Following that, the following season, my intention is to have some form of a development centre to which we will fund and then the following year after that, with that being our foundation in having executed or done those things in Ghana, my intention is to, okay, cool. How can we actually have our own bona fide development center stroke school? These are my intentions. And as I mentioned before, and actually you can actually go to teamghanaeu.com forward slash um, the hyphen, the roadmap or roadmap, sorry, to which you can receive all this information. I'm very, very open to um, collaborating, all that type of stuff. I'm very, very passionate about ownership and things of the nature and without actually collaborating I don't think none of these things are possible I think it's really really important we all come together and collaborate in some way shape or form hence the reason why these things have all happened by chance with me writing a book etc etc but I'm willing to put dare I say my money where my mouth is I'm hoping a lot of the proceeds from my book will go towards I mean December I don't think will be a massive problem. I hope it's not a problem anyway so I want the proceeds to go towards December anyway but I want the proceeds to go towards actually building something that is forever lasting and that will impact the community for many, many years to come. This is not even about, this is not about being any way, way, shape or form. This is about the wider community in Ghana for, and, and football in general. So I'm hoping if I can do this, I can inspire other people or encourage other people to do this as well. I know people from so many different parts of the world who would love to do something of this nature and I would love to be able to support them in some way, shape or form. So again, I'm kind of extending my hand to those who are listening. Go on to teamgarnu.com. You can obviously find the roadmap there. Or you can go into Andrew Mensa Jr., that's jr.com, and you can see my book in full by way of the promotion of the website and what it leads to, and again, my story and my whys, to which why I want to develop or push Ghanaian football and take it to a place it has never been. Um, that's a bit of a mouthful there. Um, I'm sure there is a lot more that I would like to say. I don't know how long we've been talking for, and I'm sure I will continue these conversations, obviously, in the weeks and the months to come, I've said before, in regards to the Ghanaian national team, I think it's fantastic they've gone to the World Cup. It was quite debatable at some given time in regards to the, the playoff game and even the qualifications, the debacle, not debacle, but the, um, the playoff game with South Africa, so on and so forth. Um, but we're here now, you know, we're here now. And um, yeah, I just, I just believe we're 
I don't know. I just think the future is really, really bright for Ghanaian. Not even necessarily for Ghanaian football. I just think for football in general, is African football, even Asian. I know we're celebrating South Asian, South Asian yeah, American, South Asian heritage month. You know what I mean? Like, see, I, I listen to these things all the time, where it's on talks, but all that type of stuff. You know what I'm saying? I think it's amazing that we are now in a place where these things, all these sort of things, are happening, and I think it's really, really important that we capitalize and come together to push these things, obviously, a little bit more forward. I'm not going to hold anyone um, longer. I'm sure those who are listening have enjoyed listening. I'm sure you want to enjoy your Sunday or whether it's your Monday, Tuesday or whatever part of the week. So I'm going to close it here. So thank you, Yaz, for your time. It's been insightful, as always, any conversation, whether it's on the mic or off the mic. Um, do you want to very quickly point listeners to where they can find you? Yeah, definitely, man. I'm, you know, similar to yourself, I'm always open for people to kind of, you know, get in touch and let me know their views and, you know, if you've got any questions that they want to kind of um, share or have answers, then, you know, I'm more than open to have, having that be the case. Um, so they can get in touch with me on Instagram or on Twitter. So Instagram is at the Coaches Network. Um, on Twitter, at the Coaches Net. Um, or you can drop me an email at info at the Coaches Network uk. Um, yeah, man. Um, and just to kind of just to kind of add something else there as well, you know, for anyone that's interested, every Sunday evening on Twitter, um, I hold a space um, to discuss anything and everything coaching related, um, and that you know often comes off the back of questions or considerations which have been put to me. That um, along with one of my colleagues, uh, we unpack for about an hour, forty-five minutes. Um, just you know, just help, again do exactly what it says on the tin. Help network. Um, with other coaches, help coaches network with one another, build build a base of knowledge, expand our expand our understanding around this thing that we call coaching. Brilliant. There's one or two things I want to mention before we go. I wasn't quite specific. So I believe these NFTs will go on sale, I think is at some point in September. That's what I believe. And at this moment in time, the book is not on pre-sale, but I like to believe it won't take long. It won't be long after this episode comes out. Um, anyway, that's it for this week's episode. We'll be posting as usual via social media, keeping up with the stories as in fold in the coming weeks. As always, if you've got any questions or queries, email me at teamgarnieu at gmail.com or tweet or DM us at teamgarnieu on IG or Twitter. Thank you. Take care. And we'll see you in a couple of weeks. Mm-hmm.